Once, a long time ago, in medieval Europe, there were once men of faith who followed the legendary Bishop Goliath. They were renegade clerics, men of no fixed abode. They are noted more as gamblers and tipplers than as poets or scholars. Their satire was almost universally directed against the church. In 1277 AD, they were forever banned from chanting in the service, and they would later be removed from the privileges of the clergy. Their songs of love and drinking, thought the church, were silenced. And yet, their spirit remained alive and well. In the songs of troubadours and the antics of jugglers, these followers of the mythical Bishop Goliath began to serve a higher purpose, recognized throughout history, that of entertaining a weary public. In the spirit of the Goliaths, Rabbi Dave and Friar Cook bring you their irreverent and raucous views of the day. So come, fill your mug, and sing boisterously along, and ask yourself the simple question, what the frock? As Alex told you, there was once a time when men made fun of other men for being silly, stupid. They were irreverent, and they were mean, and they were, I don't know, eventually banned by the church by the church yes i guess we should explain what we mean i don't necessarily mean a religious entity the church in that era was more of a what's the term for it, rob political power it was it was yes. more than just a religious entity it was the de facto kingmaker in the world. Yes. And these men, known as Goliards, are my heroes. Do you realize how much we owe them today? <laughs> I'm learning. I'm learning how you much could make we owe. A, you could make a rational argument, Rod, that the entire industry of political satire and, and perhaps even comedy, and certainly body common comedy almost yeah. owes their entire existence to these men one of whom seems to have been a guy by the name of jeffrey chaucer you've read <laughs> his canterbury tales no doubt body yes. tales of men and women on the road to canterbury entertain themselves for you younger folks that was once required reading when i was a junior in high school <laughs> yes we had to have permission slips to read The Outsiders, but not to read The Canterbury Tales because that's literature. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. So welcome to What the Frock. I'm Dave. Yes. I'm Rod. And this is our new venture where we decided that, see, because DNR was always not, it, it really wasn't what we thought. It, I mean... DNR was not organic in the in the strictest of senses. It was uh, kind of an outflow of my regular show. 
and then we just sort of separated yeah. it out and um, kept going. But this standing alone on itself, uh, more of a, I don't know, more befitting of our sarcasm and mockery of things, I guess, yes. in the Goliard tradition. Now, you may be saying to yourself, what is the Goliard tradition? Well, when we decided we were going to do this, Rod sent me a text one day about yeah. music and can I have some music that sounds like this? And and most of you know this, maybe you don't, I don't know. I used to be a professional musician, used to be, being the operative word here, spectacularly <laughs> unsuccessful in my musical career. Um, I did get paid. Along with what, 90, 90% of the other professional yeah. musicians? <laughs> did get paid, but we weren't very... Uh, we weren't very successful at it. I didn't think we were bad, but we weren't successful. So well, my parent, my dad is a musician. He was a music major in college. And and I have, I have long loved music. I have long enjoyed arranging and writing music, but, but it isn't my passion, I guess is the best way to say it. That makes sense. Yeah. It's not, it makes sense. It's something I enjoy, but it's not, it's not something I'm going to make a living at because I don't yeah, want to. I, I'm with you on that one. I briefly majored in music as well. Rod sends me this note. Can I have some music that starts like this? Well, so I said to myself, all right, I got to go find, because I, I, I know a plagal cadence from medieval music, you know, the, yes. da, da, you know, the fa- fourth, four, one chord structure, amen, mm-hmm. is what most people know it as. Um, but beyond that, I didn't really know a whole lot about medieval music, maybe Dorian modes and Gregorian chants and that sort of things, but stuff that nobody cares about. So I thought, well, I better go look up this chord structure and how these things work. And and lo and behold, Rod, you talk about a historical rabbit hole. <laughs> You're welcome. Good. Dave. Freaking. <laughs> God. Where do you want to start with this? Well, so the first thing I come across is this musical structure thing, and it starts talking about how Stay with me, folks. I know I know you're sitting there going, are they really talking about medieval music structure? Yeah, stay with us, because you're going to be yeah. amazed where this ends. <laughs> okay. <laughs> this is not going to end where you think it's going to. It's going to end where we started in political satire, but it's a long and twisting journey, or as Lennon and McCartney wrote, a long and winding road. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so sit back, buckle your seatbelts. And enjoy this ride. So they start talking about this chord structure and the dominant music of the day. And you might have thought that it was the church bringing you the dominant music of the day. Yeah, one would have thought that. But it turns out that the guys that were writing the music that the church wanted to use were hmm, not really into being church people. They were itinerant, sloppy, well... What's the words they use? They, they're they they're kind of uh, drifters. They would go from seminary to seminary. They would go to a seminary, be kind of raucous, get kicked out, go to the next <laughs> seminary. They didn't take things very seriously. Hmm, this sounds vaguely familiar to me for some reason. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's sounds like kind of my life pattern, yeah. not taking things seriously. Well... And they would write poetry and songs. And in their poetry and songs, they would praise the things that they thought would, uh, well, make their bosses mad. 
<laughs> so they would sing about drinking and they would sing drinking songs because apparently the church or God, I'm not clear, somewhere along the line decided that they couldn't have women. They couldn't have uh, pleasures of the flesh. They, they weren't supposed to be rich. They weren't supposed to be powerful. But he left out drinking and alcohol. He, that just didn't make oh, yeah. the list for some reason until many, many years later in the Methodist Revolution of the 1800s. So, um, <laughs> so they decided they would sing about drinking. And they did. And they sang boisterous songs, much like the friar that you know so well, Huck, about yes. beer and alcohol and all the things that those things led to, including mm-hmm. debauchery and... Everything up to and touching, as we would say in the Navy, of uh, of the things that they weren't supposed to be doing as <laughs> they, clerics. Yeah, just toe the line there. So, one of the poems that these people wrote is a two. It's a collection of two hundred and fifty four poems, which is a lot of poetry. I mean, that's. It's almost one for every day of the year. Almost. I mean, if you take out the weekends, it pretty much is, right? Yeah. I think I figured out once it's 256 working days a year if you're a if you're a working stiff. I don't know why I bothered to figure that out, but I did. Um, so they wrote this collection of poetry and body songs and insulting songs that that dealt with questions about the church's concepts and how the power of the church was mocked in its own behavior. And they would make fun and they would satirize the church and they would, you know, yeah. pick on them, remind them of, well, you say this, but you do this. Yeah. <laughs> and this is a lot more fun, isn't it? Kind of like that yeah. joke I told months ago. A lot better than ham, huh? Oh, yeah. Uh, Now, these 254 poems are an intriguing look into the Goliards, and that's what they were called because they followed the Bishop Goliath, or Goliath. I'm not sure. I'm not sure on the pronunciation on that. I'm going to go with Goliath. Okay. Um, These poems are actually very familiar to us today. Really? We just don't know it. This is the beauty of the Goliards is that they have become so pervasive in our society, in our mindsets, in our understanding and acceptance of how to make a mockery of things, that we don't even recognize it when it's happening anymore, which (laughs) is pretty much about the most Goliard thing ever, because the beauty of satire is when the people who are being satirized don't get it. it. It goes right over their heads. It's like half the Babylon Bee articles. <laughs> exactly. The Babylon Bee, seriously Goliard in its tradition. Yeah. So, these 254 poems, I guess I shouldn't say you know all of them. Like the Canterbury Tales, everybody knows a couple or about mm-hmm. a couple, or they at least know what they are. There's really only one of these that everybody knows. And believe me, I would bet you money that at some point this past week, you've even heard it. But Hmm. you had no idea. Did you? No. 
In the great tradition of the Goliards, there once was a man by the name of John Wilmont, an Englishman. He lived in the era of Charles II. Now, I don't mean to be a real historical rabbit hole here, but Charles II was the legitimate, quote-unquote, son of Charles I. The most interesting thing about Charles I is that at the beginning of his reign, he was 5'7", and at the end of his reign, he was 4'9". Chopped his head off, right? Oh, yeah. So... After this whole Oliver Cromwell thing with the Puritans, who were, let's face it, the ultimate targets of Goliards. I mean, yeah. <laughs> Puritans are the biggest fraud on the face of this planet. You know that? Oh, yeah. They spend all their time talking about how religious they are and how godly they are. Did you know that the highest unwed birth rate, rate, not numbers, but actual rate per for population in the history of the Americas was during the Puritan era. Hmm. I did not know that. They had a custom known as bundling. Yeah. I I recall seeing that in some of the movies. Right. Where young couples would sleep together, not married, but they'd put a board between them on the bed so that nothing funky would happen. (laughs) And Nathaniel Hawthorne, easily one of the most boring writers to ever live, turned this into one of the worst novels ever written on American paper, which then became a movie starring Demi Moore, which had nothing to do with the book, which is even worse, uh, called The Scarlet Letter, which was also required reading when I was a junior in high school. (laughs) Yes, high school was boring. Yeah. (laughs) John Wilmot was one of the... He was the Goliard of Goliards, man. I mean, he was... By the time he was 15, he was drunk. And he stayed drunk until he died. He basically stayed drunk. He was a playwright. He liked to write plays. He liked to direct plays. He liked to teach actresses. And he he was poor. But he somehow (laughs) or another became friends with Charles II, the king of England. In this post-Puritan era when basically everybody was tired of being repressed and think the 1960s all over again. Sure. Everybody was tired of being repressed and tormented by religious zealots. And so there was this natural backlash that was led by people like John Wilmont, who, again, pretty much drunk his entire life, writing body songs and plays that were, well, as one French ambassador said, he would be executed here for this. <laughs> Charles II took it upon himself at one point to say to Wilmot, you should marry that girl over there. She's really rich, and she could take care of you. The ulterior motive being, now I won't have sure. to. Right? Yeah. <laughs> You'll go with my blessing. <laughs> so the family of this beautiful woman... Elizabeth, uh, did not like this idea, and they were not impressed with Mr. Wilmot, and, 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 and they were displeased by the idea that the king was pushing this. So the king dropped a hint that Wilmot, along with his mother, should uh, kidnap Elizabeth and just uh, steal her away, which they did, and they got okay. married <laughs> while he was drunk, I'm sure. Sure. Cut to the 
couple years later, he's busy directing plays. He meets an actress who he thinks is just <laughs> all that. So yeah. he starts an affair with her. Of course, she's ridden with syphilis. Oh, which lovely. Now he gets. And because this wasn't her first rodeo. Right. No. And, and so <laughs> things begin to, you know, go downhill from that point, yeah. because now not only is he drunk all the time, but now he's, you know, delirious and yeah. the king. Charles II, whose father was uh, beheaded by the Cromwellians, decides that he needs a play that will bring out the best of his administration. Oh, no. And so he fingers John and says, John Wilmot, write me a play. Because he's written so many serious plays on serious. Exactly. (laughs) But they're friends, you know. Uh, But of course. To say that this play... I've been watching lately a show called the to- a Toast of London or Toast of London, starring Matt Berry. Which, if you don't okay. know, I, I Matt Berry plays an actor who's just he he's a voiceover guy, but he's also in the worst play ever in the history of West End. I mean, okay. people are protesting the play. Okay, <laughs> every time he runs it, it's hysterical. It's high. It's I mean, if you like British comedy, this is the crown of British comedy. Okay, okay, but this play is so disgusting that. By the time you actually get to see part of the play at the end, you're already predisposed to, to <laughs> and it's all based on this play that Wilmot writes for King Charles praising his administration. It's full <laughs> of everything that the Goliards would love. Sure. Debauchery, drinking, satire of the statesmen and the politicians making fun of how corrupt and evil this whole thing is and how stupid it all is and how and this play actually runs oh Uh-oh. charles ii of course is not pleased by all of this he's uh <laughs> well you know i think he's kind of to blame for that one exactly true goliard Tradition. He he, of course, has to fire John as his as his playwright, and as the French ambassador said, you know, because the play was written when the French guy was coming over to celebrate yeah. all this. This play was really written for the French. So at any rate, um, the French guy was like, well, he should be executed. And sorry, uh, <laughs> you don't even want to know. Um, Charles, yeah. the, this is a reason we're not doing video. Um, Charles II has to make a decision about old John Wilmot here, who in the greatest of the Goliard tradition has completely and utterly satirized and insulted him and done so laughing the whole time. (laughs) So what do you think the king does? Off with his head. Well, that's a consideration until he sees John in person again. And realizes that John is so syphilis-ridden that he has to have a mask in front of his face. Oh. And <laughs> takes pity. Takes pity upon him and basically says, <laughs> you're, you're screwed. Go home. Yeah. <laughs> At which point John Wilmot returns to his wife, Elizabeth, who says to him, despite all of this, that she still loves him and she still is so excited that he kidnapped her and married her against her parents' will, and she's still willing to take him back. Yikes. And she does, until he dies of syphilis. At the ripe old age of... 
33 years old. Oh, my goodness. Which, in true Goliard tradition, I mean, that's the same well, age guess, Jesus died, right? I guess so. If you're yeah. done, you're done. The ultimate satire. Which, of course, was his book. He wrote a book called A Satire Against Reason and Mankind, criticizing hmm. the vanities and the corruptions of the statement, statesmen, politicians of the court of Charles, which we, we have... Nobody can figure out what it means. Everybody that's read it's got, I mean, you, you talk about Nathaniel yeah. Hawthorne being impenetrable. This thing is, because you can't even figure out who's talking. Yeah. I, I read about four pages of it to try to get ready for this and went, WTF? <laughs> what the frock? <laughs> At any rate. By the way, uh, John Wilton's life is, is known to, Wilmont's life is known to us primarily from, uh, you remember our buddy Samuel Peeps, the guy that wrote the diary during huh? the, he's oh, the guy yeah. that told us all this about this guy. Huh. So he's come back around, and in the end of all this, he dies, and you'd think he'd be forgotten, except that here we are after the Goliards of the, thir- of the, of the Middle Evil period, into the anti-Puritan John Wilmot, all the way down now to today's mockery of politicians and and, yeah. and those in power, which again, the mockery of the church by the Goliards and by John wasn't so much about religion as it was about the abuses of power and the mistreatment yeah. of people based on uh, bad ideas. It's very Monty Python-esque, right? It really was. Um, yeah. Uh, especially his plays really were his poetry was he, he was also a poet. He wrote poets much like the Goliards did when they wrote their 254 yeah. page or 254 poem Magnifico thing, which, by the way, I guarantee you at some point you've heard this week. I guarantee it because everybody has. Everybody has heard this. It is used in, in 1935. It was set to music by a guy by the name of Carl Orf, Orloff. I don't remember his name. Carl Orloff. Sounds familiar. Dun, 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 dun. Dun, 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 dun. Bum, 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 Okay. Usually they use it for like satanic music and the likes of that. Carmina Baruna, O Fortuna. Oh, I love that. Everybody loves that. Everybody's heard it. Everybody thinks that it's all about you know medieval whatever. Yeah. And it's not. It's a freaking satire of fortune versus fatality, f- f- whatever fatalism, and mockery of the church's ideas about predestination. <laughs> it's a complete and utter joke. It is that that music is on everything. It's like commercials. I guarantee yeah, you, you've heard it this week. It, it it is it is John Wilmot esque in its verbiage, <laughs> but you don't know that because it's written in Latin no. and it sounds like it's you know combat or worshiping the devil. Yeah. Wasn't it used in the Omen? I think uh, it, maybe it, it it and it's complete and utter joke. It's more it's more Goliard satire that's gone right over the head of the people that think that they're oh this sounds really cool for this. Dun, 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 Let's dun, go dun. see Carmina Bruana. <laughs> hey, you might want to read the words to that, dude, because. It ain't what you thought it was. No. Which continues this tradition of irreverent thought and satiring of not just religious people, but people in power in general. 
mm-hmm. which is what made, has made the Goliards to me incredible heroes. And and then to sit here going through all this, Rod, because of your simple question. Yes. <laughs> while I'm watching Matt Berry play Toast of London and realize that the play that he's in, the play that is just absolute mesh that everybody yeah. hates because it's so offensive and so bad is a Goliard play in the tradition of by, by John Wilmot, who, huh. when he was my age, had been dead for 25 years. That's how much he accomplished in his lifetime. Dang. You think 400 years All from now that people are going to be talking about me? Too. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, in, in keeping with the tradition of irreverent thought, you know, we're, we're, we're kind of transitioning things this week. And, and normally we would have a WTF segment that talks about, you know, news articles or, you know, just WTF moments in the news. We're, we're going to change that. And in keeping with the Goliard tradition, we are now going to call this the Feast of Fools. Because, yes, you know, we'll, have, we'll have some theme music or something that we'll figure that one out. But so the Feast of, Fool, Fuel, uh, Feast of Fools, man, that's going to take some practice, is uh, for me this week is there is a New York City man who decided for for whatever reason to cut off his penis and threw it in the toilet uh, <laughs> officers responding to the apartment on main street in tottenville found the man with his wound to his right arm which was also self-inflicted according to sources the man later told the mts that he cut off his penis and discarded it in the upstairs toilet how did he hurt his yeah. arm doing that i have no idea they didn't they didn't go into the uh into it. But they did also discovered that the medical workers discovered that one of the man's testicles was also cut off. So I don't know if he was doing a, uh, a gender transition surgery on himself or not. It's not clear if his genitalia were ever found. So, were sadly, though, he, somebody you know, flushed? he was. I, I don't know. It doesn't. The article doesn't go into that much detail, surprisingly, after going through the detail that they have. But the, the man did tell police that he was bipolar and schizophrenic. So that is tragic. Um. But uh, so that's my uh, Feast of Fools article for this week. People cutting off their penises. Yeah. And throwing it in the toilet. I had because, one. you know, I, I had a great Feast of Fools story today and now I can't find it because I didn't print it out. Because I thought, well, okay. I'll just go. I'll just I'll just come back to my phone and it'll be right here. Right. Because that's I live in the 21st century. I'm I'm not a medieval <laughs> goliard. I'm a modern day goliard. I can just call it right up. I don't have to write this stuff down. Yeah, I don't have to write down 254 pages worth of jokes that somebody will set to music in the 1930s and (laughs) uses very serious music. By the way, one of the other things I discovered along the way, you like music, I like music. You ever heard of this thing called the epic trailer version? The epic trailer version? Yeah. T-R-A-I-L-E-R, like a movie trailer. Oh, okay. So if you really like music... Just just go to YouTube or something and Google epic trailer version, and you will be utterly blown away. I, I'm a huge fan of Hans Zimmer, who is a mu- score writer for music for for movies. Like he did, he did Wonder Woman '84. He did The Crown. He did Inception. Red Red uh, Crimson Tide. He's just, he's just a really, to me, he's just a really intense music writer, but all of his music sounds the same. I mean, Ben will walk in and go, huh, listen to the Hans Zimmer again, huh? And and when you go to this epic trailer stuff, 
you're going to be yeah. blown away. Imagine every song that you know and love uh-huh. has a movie trailer. Okay. It is just, huh. it's just incredible. It's an epic trailer version. Epic trailer version. And it, it's, I'll, you know, I'll link a few of them up in the right up. Anyway, that's a complete aside from my story, which has nothing to do with my story. It was just something else I discovered <laughs> while I was out looking for, because Carmina Baruna, yeah. I discovered the epic trailer version that you should Google that. Okay. Epic, epic trailer version of Carmina Baruna. Um, it was just, I, you know, it, it was just, a, it was, oh, good Lord, David. You know what I'm going to do, right? Yeah. You know what I'm going to do, even though I shouldn't, I, but I'm going to. You're going to. And you're... Just imagine three and a half minutes of that kind of music trailer. <laughs> it's just incredible. So I had this great story here about, I, I'm always fascinated by people that seem to have more free time than me. Because yeah. <laughs> it, it's just, you know, it's just one of those things. Um, one of the things, one of the social things that has fascinated me as a modern Goliard is the the necessity of mocking influencers. Yeah. This is a modern, uh, I, I guess we've always had influencers, right? There are always people, I mean, yeah. I remember my mother having a Jackie O hairstyle. And I was yeah. thinking about this the other day, the things we had in our basement like the the belt thing that shook and jiggled you oh, yeah, to lose yeah. weight. Who in their right mind ever thought that this was a real thing that this could? But we had it, and I'm realizing now in my old age, I'm filling my tankard and <laughs> starting to figure out. Well, by the time John Wilmot was my age, he'd been dead for 25 years, so yeah, I, I got some go. catching up to do. Um, <laughs> I was realizing that we've always had influencers. We've just never had it to the degree that we have today. Where Instagram it's so influencers e- easy to be an influencer today. Is that what it is? Yeah, well, yeah, I think that's the proliferation of social media makes it easy for uh, people um, people to generate fans. And, and by people, you mean idiots? Well, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, but yeah, you know, it's just really easy to do and do something that you think is funny, and all of a sudden you've got following, and then just you know. Which raises the question, what am I doing wrong? Because I think my Instagram has like four people following it. Well, so, and I'm one of them. (laughs) Yeah, that's my point. So anyway, so there's a story about this Instagram girl who is insane. And she calls herself Soho Karen. (laughs) Great. And I guess her shtick is... She's famous now because on Christmas or around Christmas, she got into a hotel ballroom, hotel lobby altercation after accusing a, quote, black teen, unquote, of stealing her phone. Oh, I remember seeing that article. It makes no sense to me because what exactly did she film this altercation upon? Yeah. To put on her Instagram account. But anyway, she made a big deal about that. Well, it's turning out now people are people are turning against her, Rod, as an in- oh. influencer, because as it turns out, she is a uh, syphilis-ridden <laughs> poor actress. <laughs> Not officially. I'm just I'm I'm using that as a yeah. metaphor. She's much okay. like a syphilis-ridden actress who thinks she's really cool about stuff, but but really she's just 
she's just passing around sexually transmitted diseases that that are going to infect everybody and people are starting to realize that they should stay away from this insane woman <laughs> who's actually a teenager she's 16 oh no I'm calling herself soho karen and i'm thinking to myself in 25 years what's she gonna be yeah and i just have this vision in my brain of <laughs> that actress she might be regretting what she <laughs> what she's done today Probably not. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Friarside chat, where the friar sits down amongst friends and gives a little bit of insight into the world about. And today's topic, today's chat is going to be why the Friarside chat is a marshmallow-free zone. That's Blech. right. <laughs> so, you know, besides the fact that marshmallows today are derived from sugar, water, air, whipping agent, and gelatin. Ooh, wait, go back protein, to this whipping thing again. It's a whipping agent, which is a gelatin oh, or a protein that they use. I thought maybe they... it was a woman that was going to... No. <laughs> okay, thanks for that aside. Following is intended guess only for mature be. audiences. Viewer discretion advised. <laughs> anyway, so in researching actually a little bit, I had my own little rabbit hole story of this week as, as I was going through, and what is exactly a marshmallow? And, and I'll get into why it's a marshmallow-free zone, but... And looking at looking into it, Dave, I don't know if you know this, but marshmallows have been around since 2000 BCE. I did know that. Yeah. Okay. Well, do you remember it's, what it's I told amazing. you the other day about marshmallows? I I don't remember that they're not kosher. I, oh, okay. Yeah. Did you discover yeah. why they're not kosher? I did not discover because why they've been around kosher. since 2000 BC. Uh, what else was happening in 2000 BCE? Yeah. yeah. Anyway. Okay. Go ahead. Yeah. So Sorry, anyway, I didn't mean the, to the Egyptians. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's fine. The, the Egyptians actually used to make them, consider them food for the gods, and uh, they were medicinal, actually, for soothing coughs and sore throats and healing wounds. But the marshmallow derives from a mallow plant that was found in the marshes. There you go. And so what the uh, what they did is they would boil the root pulp with honey until thick and then they would strain it and then once it cooled that's what they used it for now you might be asking why is this why is it a marshmallow free zone it sounds like this is a, a great you know this would be a good medicine <laughs> yeah <laughs> well today's yeah today's sugar water air and a whipping agent <laughs> um but uh, mm. so this this goes back to a, a very uh, a story of mine and i kind of touched on it in a previous episode but in my youth uh, in the 70s, you know, I was involved with like scouting organizations. And it was at one point in time that my parents actually uh, put me into a YMCA program. And this program was called Indian Guides. I was in so, that. Yes. I yeah. was in that. Indian Guides. There you go. It's not really appropriate for <laughs> today's culture. Foray. He had 10,000. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Yeah. So anyway, so the Indian Guides, it, it was one of those programs that offered much like the Scouts, fellowship, camping, community activities, you know, crafting, things like that. 
I learned archery there for the, the first time. complete and utter mockery of, of Native American culture. <laughs> it is. Because we, we had these little leather patches that we wore around our necks. And yep. as, we, as we progressed up, they would give us beads. Right. Or like fake bear claws to put onto the little necklace. And they had band with the... Yes, they had the band with the little arrow with the with the feather on it. Yeah, it was it was horrible by today's standards. And looking back, I'm kind of embarrassed, but it wasn't my decision. So, <laughs> different time, kids. It was a different time. Well, so in, in one of these camping activities that uh, that we went to, and and I used to really like camping. We we sat around the the, the campfire and roasted hot dogs and. And uh, drank Coke and and had uh, hot chocolate and, and marshmallows and the day was going great and we kind of retired to the tent and that was when I I woke up feeling not so well mm. and in fact it was all I could do to make it outside the tent before I I, I got sick and and honestly it, it took me several years before I even tried a hot dog again and to this day the smell of cocoa and more particularly roasted marshmallows makes me nauseous i cannot be in the same room and so the um yeah yeah so anyway that is uh you know i don't mind the actual flavor of it or when it's used and rice crispy treats require marshmallows and, and they're not bad um i make a grasshopper pie and, and it's not it's not the bugs it's <laughs> grasshopper as in the uh, the cocktail grasshopper cream de menthe and cream de cocoa that requires a little bit of marshmallows in it, but you get me around s'mores and oh gosh no no thank you so and that is why this fryerside room is marshmallow free. You know I uh, <clears throat> I have had to instruct my wife to no longer buy Rice Krispies treats. And is that because it's not kosher? Oh, absolutely not. It has to do with the fact that if she buys a box of Rice Krispie Treats, I will literally sit here and eat yeah. the whole box. <laughs> yeah. They, but they yes, marshmallows are not kosher because they were Egyptian medicine. And yeah. they were, you know, I don't know the whole thing because I wasn't there. And I'm just a, yeah. and I'm just an honorary rabbi and, and pretty much a Goliard rabbi as a, at that. Yeah. Um, which means I should be mocking. But apparently they, uh, they got upset about the fact that the Egyptians use marshmallows instead of marshmallows instead of trusting god because uh, you know when you're syphilis ridden at 33 why would you eat a marshmallow when you could pray to god but you've been mocking him all your life yeah <laughs> which brings me to the wrap of today i was uh discovering things left and right getting ready for this rod and there is mm -hmm. a 2004 movie called the libertine which details okay. in graphic detail and by graphic detail, I mean graphic detail. The life of John Wilmont, a serious goliard of the 1600s who <laughs> mocked and, the Puritans. And, and who, pray tell, of all the actors that could portray John Wilmont, who is the, Johnny is the Depp. actor? Of course, <laughs> it's Johnny Depp. Who else could it have been? And... <laughs> Perfect. I've watched the epic. I've watched the epic trailer of this, and I can assure oh, you that I will be watching the movie this week at some uh -huh. point in my copious free time. I will be watching this movie because I'm already hooked on the. There's there's a couple of problems with the movie, and there's one really great thing about the movie. The negative is that it's a it it, it was made in 2004, and so much like uh, 
so many things today. <laughs> you couldn't get away with the why Indian guides or that sort no. of thing. Um, the, um, the, the, the banner is a Weinstein company presentation. So okay. this is about, about <laughs> as Harvey Weinstein as you could possibly get. So I guess the question is how many, how many couches did some of the actresses sleep on? I'm shocked that you can even still see this, that it hasn't been canceled yet. That's why I need to get it. I, I, I've ordered it so that I have it on DVD because they might pull it at any other point. It, you never well, know. yeah, especially with what Depp's going through. Right. Well, not just Depp, but Harvey Weinstein, too. Mm -hmm. So that's uh, it seems like those are the negatives of the thing. But it, it apparently portrays this uh, pretty well. And Depp is... Depp is one of those actors that I have always enjoyed, with a couple of exceptions. I, you know, obviously the Lone Ranger. Speaking of why Indian guys, yeah, not a good choice. But let's face it, who else could be Jack Sparrow? No, there's, there's, there's no, no one. one else that could do that. And I, I even enjoyed him as the Mad Hatter in Alice in Wonderland. I, yeah. I thought he did a really good job of that. So he's a very good character actor. He, he really is. Um, but he plays John Wilmot, the insane. The insane libertine, libertine in the in the Goliard tradition of of making fun of the Puritans, which is just awesome in my view. But but uh, remember his wife Elizabeth, who was kidnapped yeah. and rich and took care of him, and after everything he did, including dying at the ripe old age of thirty three, she still loved him more than anything. Yeah, and was apparently willing to accept him. <clears throat> Guess who plays Elizabeth? Um. I'm having to look up and I can't see Rosamund it. Pike. Oh. Who I have oh. learned this week is Rod's secret crush. Well, it's one, one of, yes, but for for some reason. <laughs> Celebrity crush. All I'm saying is I should be watching the Libertine and I'm betting and money I, that Rod I, will be too. <laughs> yeah, I will be too. I just have to make sure that my sixteen year old isn't in the room. <laughs> yeah, you probably want to do <laughs> Unless you want to, I mean, remember when he was 15 when he got his start, so... Well, it's she, and she doesn't need to see that. Well, she could choose worse, Daddy. She could choose yes. worse. I'm the Rabbi Dave. I'm the Friar Cook. See you next week, everyone. On What the Frock.